just a small technical thing. Okay, so, um, hi everyone, good morning. Uh, as Matt uh, just mentioned, my name is Maria uh, and I've been a member of the congregation at St. Saviour's since the partnership started in September 2019. I'm gonna say straight out of the gates that I'm incredibly nervous this morning because um, this is the first time I'm doing this. Uh, so please bear with. Um, but that notwithstanding, it really is an incredible honour um, to have been asked to share some thoughts with you guys this morning. Uh, so let's see how we go. Um, so in the passage that we're looking at today, we have Peter and John, who've just healed a man in his 40s that's been paralysed since birth, in a public place with thousands of onlookers. That's super powerful stuff. And it really grabs people's attention. So all of a sudden, they have a captive audience and they seize the moment. They begin to proclaim the gospel, to speak the truth about Jesus and his resurrection. We're told that 5,000 present that day gave their lives to Jesus. And of course, evangelism isn't about numbers, but my mind is blown by this story. And I want that. I want it in my life and I want it for our community, for our church family. That is the stuff of the kingdom right there. And I think that from it flows a natural question. How do we get it? In a sense, we're just like Peter and John. Um, this account makes a point of telling us that they are ordinary and unschooled. But I don't want to talk too much about that. Absolutely, we need to hear that the work of the kingdom isn't reserved only for special anointed people. That's hugely important. But it isn't what jumps off the page for me when I read these verses. I think what this passage calls us to think about is twofold. Firstly, how can we, like Peter and John, boldly and courageously proclaim the name of Jesus Christ in our community? in Finsbury Park. Secondly, how do we deal with the resistance that we will inevitably encounter? Concerning the first point, I think verse 20 is pivotal. Peter and John say, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They were so filled with Jesus, so filled with the Spirit, that they could not help but testify. And also they had seen incredible things and they just couldn't keep those to themselves. Here I think lies what we should be going after. One, to be so full of Jesus that we cannot help but tell people about him. And two, to be so in awe of his amazing deeds that we cannot help but share them with others. John and Peter are people of both word and deed. They are both proclaiming Jesus' name and producing tangible fruit that points to his kingdom. And in, in this, they're kind of taking their lead directly from Jesus himself because he spent his time on earth preaching about God's kingdom and giving people practical examples of what it looks like. 
So if we intend to proclaim the name of Jesus to our community, our words have to be accompanied by deeds. On the first point, being people of word, we need to talk about Jesus. We need to actually say his name. Personally, I know I find this challenging in some contexts, like my work. Um, I'm a social worker. I work for a local authority and it's a completely secular context. Um, and I will happily talk about my faith. I'll talk about God or church or prayer, but I do find it hard to bring up Jesus sometimes. Honestly, probably because of what I think people will think. But the fact is that every Christian in the world at some point heard about the life of Jesus and believed. We wouldn't be Christians if we didn't. That's a 100% success rate. And I think we can be inspired by Peter and John's boldness here. Fine, we're blessed in the UK because we don't face jail or death for speaking about Jesus. But we could face rejection and social isolation and shame. And in our context, they are a big deal. So how do we find that apostolic courage? How do we find that boldness? Let's look at verse eight. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, that's the key. We need the Spirit. The book of Acts is filled with moments where people receive the Holy Spirit and receive incredible boldness and courage. A few examples, today's passage or Acts chapter 4 verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Or Stephen in Acts chapter 7 verse 55 who finds courage to endure being stoned by the Sanhedrin because he's filled with the Holy Spirit and sees the glory of God. These are just some examples that tell us that it's only by being filled with the Spirit that we will receive Peter and John's boldness. And I think that if this is something that we want to be going after as a church community, we need to commit to daily time with God to be filled by his Spirit. And that will look different to different people and fundamentally, it really doesn't matter how we connect. We just have to commit to doing it regularly. Without a daily rhythm of time in God's presence, we're trying to do things in our own strength. We're merely natural beings trying to do supernatural things. Intuitively, we should know that that doesn't work. So that's being people of word. But being filled with the Spirit also helps us with the second lesson we can learn from Peter and John in this passage, being people of deed. Signs and wonders, healings, incredible stories of provision, words of knowledge that speak into the hearts of people's lives. We see these in the life of Jesus. I once heard a preach where somebody said that the position of Jesus in the Gospels could be broken down in three ways. He was either about to do something miraculous was in the process of doing something miraculous or had just finished doing something miraculous. And that's always really stayed with me. And I guess the point is that miracles are part of the kingdom and they have to be a part of the way we outreach into our community. And frankly, to me, that's a bit nerve wracking. 
And yet the people I know who see signs and wonders, who have incredible stories of provision, who get words that really speak into the hearts of others and minister to them, are the people who try. And of course, there are times when we go after this kind of thing and nothing happens because we live in a world where the kingdom of God isn't fully realised. And I don't want to sweep that under the carpet, but it is a different topic for another time. So that notwithstanding, 100% of the times miracles happen, it's because somebody went out on a limb. They were humble, they had faith, they went for it. That doesn't mean they weren't scared or didn't feel stupid maybe, but part of the miraculous is about removing ourselves from the situation. Fear, shame, anxiety about outcomes, they're about us. Miracles are about Jesus. And I guess something that I also felt was important to talk about at this point is that when we're talking about healings, people's minds often go to the physical. And clearly the evidence of the gospels tells us that these are hugely significant. But what is also important is that the healings Jesus performed were not just physical. They were emotional and spiritual too. Part of Jesus's healings involved the restoration of dignity. Two great examples are Zacchaeus and the Samaritan woman in John 4. So there's a sense in which when we hope to bring salvation to our community, what we're doing is helping it to heal physically, absolutely, but also spiritually and emotionally. Jesus was and is compassionate, kind, thoughtful. He gives of himself to those in need and adopting that posture towards our community is healing. And I do think it's a posture. It's an attitude of the heart. And I believe what gives us this posture, what changes our hearts, is time with God, time in Jesus's presence. Again, I really don't think it matters what that time looks like, but we can learn from Jesus in scripture that it probably needs to be a quiet place and it probably needs to be regular. That's how he did it. So to courageously proclaim the name of Jesus to our community, in my view, is threefold. Firstly, we have to be filled with the Spirit, constantly, consistently, again and again. Secondly, we need to actually proclaim his name. We actually need to talk about Jesus, not just our faith, not just our church, not only God our Father, but Jesus. Lastly, we need to produce tangible fruit of the kingdom, miracles, words, but also connection and compassion. So at the beginning of this talk, I mentioned a second thing that jumped out at me from, today, from today's scripture, resistance, um, which is a theme that runs throughout scripture. In this very passage that we're looking at today, John and Peter face opposition from the Sanhedrin. In the Gospels, as soon as Jesus is baptised, he's then tempted by the devil. Coincidence? Probably not. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus faces opposition from the religious class of his time. Jesus tells his disciples that they will be persecuted in his name. Another example that particularly speaks to me is in Daniel 10 
when the angel of God tells Daniel that he would have been there sooner, but he was held up, he faced resistance. Resistance to the kingdom of God is real, it's active. And chances are, if we're actively working for the kingdom, we're going to face it. The enemy does have some power, not the ultimate power that belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ. But in this broken world, Satan can and will get in our way. So we need to be prepared. And I think there are three main ways that we can put up a fight. Firstly, if we look at our verse for today, we see that with the help of the Holy Spirit, Peter speaks boldly to the council. This is the same council that effectively put Jesus to death. This isn't Peter being a bit paranoid. The threat is real. It's significant. But he faces it because the spirit comes upon him. That, in my view, is the number one thing we need to bear in mind when we face opposition. We need the spirit. I've said it already, but we can't fight a supernatural battle without supernatural help. Secondly, let's follow Jesus's example. When he was tempted by the enemy, he fought back with scripture. We know from Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 that the word of God is a weapon. And I'm going to say that again. The word of God is a weapon. It's the sword of the spirit. And what does that mean? Well, we need to know scripture, which probably means reading the Bible daily. Jesus spent a large portion of his early years learning the Torah by rote. And obviously times are different now, but that doesn't mean that we can't commit to memory and heart the verses that embolden us and give us strength when we read them to keep coming back to you and to encourage us. Scripture is the word of God. It's powerful. But something that I find interesting in this context is that God only gives us this one offensive weapon in his armour. The rest are defensive. And I love the idea of the armour of God and I could probably spend a whole service talking about it. Um, but the other items listed in Ephesians are the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. Paul is effectively telling us how to face resistance head on here. To know the truth of who God is and what he's done for us. To live lives that seek and honour his will. To persevere in telling people about Jesus and to choose faith. When we're disheartened, when we lose hope, we have to choose to hold fast to faith. It's a bit like that posture and attitude of the heart stuff that we were talking about before. And in this passage in Ephesians, after the armour of God is outlined, Paul tells us to pray continually. And to me, there's a link there. And it's that we put on this armour through prayer, time spent with God actually praying for his armour. Actually, this is a great scripture to keep coming back to when we face opposition and just read through prayerfully. Lastly, I think another way we deal with opposition is togetherness. We see examples of this throughout the Gospels. In today's verses, Peter and John go out together. In Luke 10, Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells us that when two or more gather in his name, he's there. 
Jesus himself chose to do his work with disciples when actually when we're reading scripture we might wonder why because frequently they were more of a hindrance than anything else. Jesus better than anyone knew what resistance to the kingdom was going to look like. Clearly then when working for the kingdom we need each other to endure resistance. We have to be in community with one another and I think we need to be open with each other when we feel the enemy. Call it out when we feel under attack. I don't know about you guys but When my spiritual life is on fire, other areas of my life will start to feel challenging. And it helps to call this out with other followers of Jesus who can intercede for me and encourage me and remind me of godly truths. So because I apparently like things in threes, uh, to face resistance in our work for the kingdom is also threefold. I promise that wasn't intentional. Um, Firstly, we have to be filled with the spirit. Secondly, we need to remember that the word of God is a weapon and put on his full armour. And thirdly, we have to be in relationship with one another. Thank you.